Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Temporary Admission, the podcast where we speak to some of the art industry's most influential people to find out who they are and what they're up to. Now, if you tuned into our previous episode where we chatted with Gemma Rolls-Bentley about diversity in the art world, you know that this week is super exciting because we're going to be taking a look at one of the most anticipated exhibitions of the year, Francis Bacon, Man and Beast, which opens at the Royal Academy here in London this Saturday, so Saturday the 29th of January, I believe, through to the 17th of April. Now, with Saturday just around the corner, today I'm sat with author, art historian, and perhaps most importantly for today, curator and old friend of Francis Bacon's, Michael Pepiat. Welcome to Tempe Admission, Michael. Thank you. Honestly, it's great to have you, Michael. Anyone that I've spoken to recently will know that I've been looking forward to recording this episode for a very long time. I realised that the exhibition was obviously scheduled to go live last year, um, but then unfortunately, and probably understandably, had to be delayed due to COVID. But I think a great place for us to start today would be about finding out how it was you became to be involved in Man and Beast. Well, I've been associated with Francis Bacon since the early 1960s when I met him when I was a student and interviewed him for a student uh, magazine. And uh, for some reason or another, we got on very well. And we became, I would say, close friends for the following 30 years before he died in 1992. And a lot of my career has been connected to Bacon. He's one of the artists I've specialised in and written books about and uh, done exhibitions of. I'm just trying to picture what it was like to know Francis Bacon as a student and throughout his life. I mean, it must have been absolutely fascinating. And I think that's just maybe one of the things that makes the exhibition so exciting is the fact that you knew Bacon so personally. I remember reading in the catalogue that you produced for the Royal Academy uh, about the long nights you spent in Soho Members Clubs with Bacon until the early hours. And I'd love to know what it has been like for you curating the exhibition, having known Bacon in the way that you did. Well, we did this. I mean, I've I've done several exhibitions before. This is a very specific one because it's called man and beast, Francis Bacon, man and beast, for a, a, a very particular reason, which was I was looking for a new theme. Somebody asked me whether I had any new exhibitions in mind. And uh, I just started thinking about Bacon. And <laughs> it seems now sort of like a something that's well established. But nobody had ever, when I thought about this a couple of years ago, uh, nobody had ever really taken into account the frequency with which animals, apes, dogs, rhinoceroses, birds, uh, appear in Bacon's paintings. And um, I wasn't particularly interested in the idea until I started sifting through 
all his works and finding that they have a very distinct presence in his whole oeuvre from beginning to end. And so I selected a number of these pictures and I thought that would make a very interesting exhibition visually because it's an aspect that's been hasn't been explored before and also because it throws his uh, figures his humans into a an unusual relief you see man very much as an animal you almost see the animals as being more human than bacon's humankind as it were you know i mean they <laughs> seem if anything rather more restrained and, and better behaved so i thought this was just a very interesting aspect to explore and it's been well it's been wonderful it's been wonderful uh being able to bring together all these pictures it's been difficult we've done it in difficult times and of course the exhibition was supposed to happen a year ago but now we've managed to to open it uh, this year. I bet. I mean, curating an art exhibition in COVID times should, as we probably say, certainly brought its challenges. But as many of you know, at, at Queen's, we've been working to manage international shipments for galleries, institutions and other private individuals throughout the pandemic to ensure that exhibitions like this one can go ahead. And I, I think it's fair to say that the forever changing restrictions, workforce being taken sick and, and then Brexit on top of that at the start of last year, certainly brought its challenges. But slightly off topic, I remember that you wrote previously about one night in the 1970s when Francis Bacon and yourself were going through Soho on your way to the Colony Club when you actually came up against a gang of youths um, beating up a man who was lying on the floor. And despite your efforts to help, Bacon actually pulled you away, describing the young gangsters themselves as animals and worse than animals, in fact, I think it was what he said. Do you think that perhaps maybe subconsciously, that's what led to exploring the relationship between man and beast in this way for the current exhibition? No, I think, you know, that was just, that was a really something of an anecdote, but it was a good way, I thought, of introducing the essay I wrote for the, uh, the catalogue. I think, I, no, I've always known that he was interested in animals. What I hadn't thought of was that it would be an interesting avenue through which to uh, to explore his work. Because he often said, you know, that he liked watching animals because they were more uninhibited in their behaviour than humans. But the closeness meant that watching them was like watching human beings interact, but without the, as it were, the disguises, the camouflage that we use to to hide our real feelings or our real motives. And I think he came very much to mankind through animal kind. And as I started musing over this theme, I suddenly thought it was quite obvious, it was hiding in plain sight, as it were, that he was originally very much a country boy. You know, he'd been brought up on a stud farm in Ireland and part of his everyday life was horses, dogs, etc. And the whole animal kingdom, as it were, you know, because there was a lot of hunting, a lot of horse racing, etc., etc. They were a very big part of his childhood, even though he turned his back in that sense on his childhood and almost never went to the country thereafter, became very much metropolitan man, you know, the... Um, 
the boulevardier uh, of, of living in the, the center of, or going, living in and visiting the center of, of big capitals, Paris, Madrid, Berlin. So he was very much the, the city man, but his origins were in the country. And so he would have probably been fascinated by animals from his earliest childhood on. Mm, I, I never realised that he'd grown up surrounded by animals in the way that he had. And it actually is quite hard hitting to hear your account of his life and, you know, the way you described it now, I guess. It, it just makes me wonder whether if Bacon hadn't been forced to leave his family home in the way that he had, whether he would have even produced the works that he did. And I, th- I think one thing that's clear when you see the exhibition for yourself is how it takes you on a journey throughout Bacon's life and the practice, which perhaps no other exhibition has been able to do quite so comprehensively. I guess, could you, with this in mind, tell our listeners a little bit more about the works that you've chosen to include and, and how the exhibition charts the development of Bacon's work as you move through it? Well, it charts the whole work because this fascination lasted, as I said, uh, all the way through. We're lucky enough to have assembled for the first time the three great bullfight paintings that he did. And I think I'm right in saying they've never been exhibited before. And so that is a very strong, very powerful moment in the exhibition when you see them exhibited together. And we've also got the very last painting uh, he did, which was of a bull, not a a bullfight as such, but this rather ghostly and fascinating bull figure that's hovering between the light of the the arena, as it were, the bullring, and the darkness of the exit just behind it, which makes one think that uh, Bacon was aware very much aware at that point, uh, because he was already ill when he painted it, of his own mortality. But I think overall it, um, it, shows, it shows the work in a completely different light because of this theme, which has directed our choice. Uh, we've gone, obviously, for pictures where, if you like, there are, is either an animal or a particularly animalistic uh, human to make the the connection between the two evident and see it in all its different facets. So that has resulted in an unusual exhibition. You know, Bacon has never shown, has never been shown at the uh, Royal Academy uh, a complete show like this before. And I think it's very a very exciting space a very grand and uh, impressive space for him to be seen in. And all these things together make it an unusual exhibition. Yes, anyone that has ever been to the RA will know that it's just the most beautiful building. But now I know this is perhaps quite a hard question, maybe, and maybe one that's slightly unfair, given that you've been able to spend so much time with Bacon's works. But something that I think would be particularly interesting for our listeners, and it probably is quite hard to choose, like I said, but... If you had to pick one, which work would it be that you would say was your favourite or maybe that you'd recommend most that our listeners look out for? Well, there are obviously favourite pictures. You know, I could say something rather grand and boring, like, you know, all the pictures are meaningful, etc. What, uh, but my, my reaction now that the exhibition is hung is that it's actually changed, you know, I've been sort of dealing with Bacon for nearly 60 years, but it's changed my own perception 
of Bacon, which came as a surprise because uh, I've seen and almost lived with some of these pictures when I've exhibited them uh, before, going in and tweaking or doing interviews uh, or visiting with friends, etc. So they are very familiar, but they weren't familiar on this time around. They looked very different for me because of this different focus, this different lens, as it were, that's held over them. I see things that I've never seen before. So it's um, it's a, a discovery for me, as I hope it will be for, for as many as possible of our visitors. I think it does show uh, Bacon in a different light. You know, that I don't want to go on about that because it sounds boastful, but I genuinely believe that this shows another uh, another aspect to this very powerful body of painting. You know, I think that in itself should encourage everyone to take a look at the exhibition whilst it's on. Whether you're familiar with Bacon's work and perhaps thought you'd probably seen all you needed to see, or, or even whether his work is entirely new to you, I think it's great that someone like yourself has been able to be surrounded by these paintings for years, and yet you're now able to see them, thanks to the exhibition, in, in a whole new light. Well, he's an exciting painter, and I think my job has been made easy to the extent that Bacon retains his power. You know, you could go out of your way, really, to do a, you know, a a, a sloppy exhibition of Bacon, as it were, you know, not without much forethought. Uh, but his paintings are so strong that he generally overcomes any disadvantages like that. And here, as I say, in these very grand spaces, I think he's very much uh, himself, very much at home, and he delivers, you know, he delivers a kind of wallop. You know, it's a very strong, strong statement that leaves you wondering about a lot of things, about life and death, about our human condition and animals uh, and how they affect our condition, how we are very uh, much intertwined on this earth. And that as, you know, it gives, it gives, it gives way to a lot of, a lot of different reflections. And I was moved when I saw it actually installed, you know, in a way that I, I hadn't expected to, you know, because I am familiar uh, with these works and I've been looking at them perhaps too much, but I did see them afresh. And I can't imagine that happens all too often. Yes, yes, it doesn't happen that often. And then, then it, when it does, you realise why, I suppose, you've spent your life, you know, working on things like that. Yeah, and, and I guess circling back slightly with, with your opinion and outlook on these works changing perhaps so significantly throughout the course of this exhibition, is there that one painting or perhaps even a series of paintings that you'd say is an absolute must-see for our listeners? Um, that's a very difficult one, you know, because you're conscious when you pick one, you're conscious of, of so many others that are, uh, that are left out. I would say there's a magnificent bullfight scene there where he's brought together a matador and a bull in a very sort of, in a very immediate way, a very direct way, so that you almost feel, you could say, the breath of the bull. And at the same time, there's a panel that is a reflection of the Nuremberg rally. So you have these two moments, as it were, of, of violence, the violence of the bull and the violence of the crowd. And that, I think... Uh, is one of the strokes of genius that Bacon made 
during his his extraordinary career to have brought those two images together, which you know that picture alone could uh, set off all kinds of reflection. Well, I'm sure that would be one painting that all of our listeners will certainly keep an eye out for. But now, before I leave you, Michael, and you've probably got an extremely busy day with the exhibition going live towards the end of the week, but I know a few people have actually, who have already seen the exhibition preview, said that weirdly it feels that the exhibition going live now, rather than a year ago when it was originally intended, is perhaps maybe more fitting. Yes, you might say when you see... um both the animals and the humans caged, as they often are in uh, in Bacon, caged in sort of, um, you know, a, a, as though quarantined, uh, cut off from from other other people, other other contact. That it's particularly uh, apposite that we should be uh, seeing these images now. Something to think about. That's for sure. Now, look, Michael, thank you to you and the Royal Academy for coming on to Temporary Admission today to share a little bit more on such an exciting exhibition. We really do appreciate it. And for everyone that wants to go and see the exhibition for themselves, tickets are available from Saturday the 29th of January through to the 17th of April. Um, And having seen the works myself, I couldn't recommend it enough. Now, that just about concludes us for the latest episode of Temporary Admission and our first exhibition preview. Next week, we're going to be chatting with the Kunstmuseum about a pretty special exhibition that's opening over in Basel. If you don't want to miss it, make sure to hit subscribe or follow. And until then, stay safe. Speak soon.